Let's pray together. God, you are glorious above all things. We just consider this incredible creation that you have made. From beautiful sunrises and sunsets to incredible landscapes like the Grand Canyon to whispering forests like up at Woods Canyon Lake to even just the unique beauty of the desert. You are the Lord God Almighty who made all these things just by the power of your word. And we stand in awe of you. And we think about the fact that you're not only a God who did all of this with a word, you don't stand distant from it. You love us and you are near to us and you care for us. We thank you that you have shown your love in your son Jesus and in the body of Christ, the church, and through the indwelling spirit and through the wisdom of your word. We give you praise for all of these things. And we confess that we're not people worthy of your love or your attention. We are sinners saved by grace. And so we praise you for the cross where you redeemed us through the blood of your own precious son. And we worship you for these things. And we ask that as we look at your word this morning, you would make us wise through the teaching of scripture that our hearts would be drawn to worship you um, as we study the scriptures together. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless our time in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hopefully you're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. That's where we are going to be looking at the scripture together. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the the topic of suffering and trials. It's one of the major themes of Peter's letter. And today, as we move into the final chapter of Peter's letter and we make our way to the end of this book, we're going to really kind of turn a pretty hard corner here. We're going to talk about something completely different. And this is not going to be one of those sermons, just to kind of uh, give you a heads up, this is probably not going to be one of those sermons that like ministers deeply to your soul this morning, okay? Uh, I love to teach those kinds of sermons, um, but this is not going to be one of those sermons where you walk out of here and you're like, all right, I got a list of very practical application points that I need to do starting today. This is going to be one of those sermons that is a little bit more informational, And so I'm telling you ahead of time, like this is not going to be like a moving sermon where God touches your heart in a deep way. But having said that, I actually think this might be one of the more important sermons that you hear as a Christian. I think this is an incredibly significant topic because it has to do with church leadership, specifically church elders. And this is an area where From my observation, at least, I think a lot of Christians are woefully ignorant, and I think a lot of churches are probably not educating the body of Christ appropriately. And this is a supremely important topic when it comes to the health of the church, and even your health as a member of the church. So although you're probably not going to walk out of here, you know, this morning going, wow, that was just, you know, amazingly moving preaching. Like, you know, God was just doing a work on my heart this morning. I want to encourage you to still give your full attention to the time that we spend together here because this is very, very important stuff. Okay. First Peter chapter five, verses one through four, read with me. The apostle Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So let's begin by dealing with a question. Why does Peter transition so abruptly from talking about suffering to talking about elders? You know, I've mentioned this as we've made our way through Peter. Like as he wrote this, he wasn't like, okay, and begin chapter five, right? That was the chapter markers were added later. So something in Peter's mind is connecting suffering to elders. And what is that? Well, it's not weird, and the reason is because the elders are those that are responsible over the church for guiding the church, and specifically for guiding the people in the church, in particular, as they go through seasons of suffering. So it actually makes a lot of sense after talking about suffering to speak to the elders of the church and give them these commands, because leading through hardship is one of the most challenging parts of leadership. Everybody wants to be a leader when things are going well. Very few people want to be a leader when things are challenging. So in verse 1, Peter offers an exhortation to the elders of the church. And he says that he himself is qualified to give this exhortation because he is an elder and also because he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. So there's that theme being pulled into these verses, and then also because he's a partaker of the glory that is soon to be revealed, the glory that the church waits for. And I think verse 1 gives us this really beautiful sort of comprehensive picture, if you think about it. Peter, in order to encourage the church, essentially says to them, look back at the sufferings of Jesus as you suffer and remember his faithfulness on the cross. And look forward to the future glory that is yet to come when Christ returns. And remain steadfast, be encouraged, find strength to press on. His exhortation then moves from the past where the cross unfolded to the future return of Jesus Christ. And reminds us that Christ conquers even over the hardships, even over the struggles that we go through in this life. What exactly then is an exhortation? This is not a word that we use regularly. I would doubt that like in the last month you've said something like, I have an exhortation for you. An exhortation is simply a communication that really strongly urges the listeners to pay attention. It comes with seriousness and urgency. Peter's saying, what I have to say is very important. You know, when your phone buzzes that really obnoxious, like extreme weather alert or dust storm warning, your phone is really kind of giving you an exhortation, right? And you'd be a bit of a fool to not pay attention to it. Although, you know, at this point with dust storms, we're all just like, yeah, whatever, it's the phone, okay. So that's an exhortation. Before we get into the content of that then, let me answer two additional questions, okay? First, what is an elder? And then second, if you're not an elder, then why should you care? Like, why not just get up now and go grab some brunch because this doesn't pertain to you? Let's deal with the first question. What's an elder? Well, the specifics uh, in the Bible about what an elder is can be found in passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, 
Acts chapter 20 and right here in 1 Peter chapter 5. We've also got Hebrews 13, which you heard my wife read for us as our scripture reading. If I rattled those off really fast and you want to go do a study on those passages, you can always look up the YouTube video and you can listen more slowly. We're going to go into more detail as we move through our verses, but here's my just quick summary of what an elder is and what an elder does, okay? The elder is tasked with taking care of the flock, the body of Christ, the church. We would call this shepherding. Elders are required to teach sound doctrine and to teach the scriptures correctly and also guard that sound doctrine from errors and falsehoods that might creep in. Elders are to lead the church by example through the good conduct of their lives and they are to faithfully pray for the church. Elders are tasked with serving the church by making decisions for the church body. They're required to manage the conflict that inevitably springs up in the church. They are also responsible for correcting and for disciplining unruly members when they are moving towards sin and danger. Elders, I believe, are responsible for appointing additional elders as the church identifies those elders and agrees that they should be in leadership. They're responsible for directing the deacons in the ministry and managing the overall organization of the church body, which might even include something like finances. Okay, that was a lot. Again, if you need to review it, you can go back and listen. We're going to unpack some of this. But where a lot of people tend to get tripped up is that elders and pastors are actually the exact same thing, even though we tend to talk about them differently. The church, unfortunately, has turned the title of pastor into some kind of professional career option and sort of identified pastors as the people who lead churches. But in the New Testament, the role of pastor is the same as the role of elder. And so as far as the Bible is concerned, all pastors are elders and all elders are pastors. That's how the Bible would lay this out. The Bible, I would say, also limits the role of elder to men. I think it's actually unapologetic about that. That doesn't mean that men are better than women. It simply means that God has different roles for different parts of the body. It's also pretty clear that churches should have a plurality of elders, that churches that just have a single elder or pastor are actually not functioning the way the Bible teaches because leadership in the body of Christ requires a team so that there is mutual accountability. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking at this point, my second question, Grady, all right, interesting, but I'm not an elder, so like, can I go now? But you, again, need to pay attention. This sermon is actually more for you than it is for our elders. Um, Actually, John, stand up. Gabe, stand up. In case you don't know, John and Gabe are elders along with myself. And Leonard, our other elder, usually is up here leading guitar. Um, but he is out of town right now. You can take a seat now. Thank you. The reason why this sermon actually isn't for them is because we all together spent 18 months as an elder team going through the entire teaching on this subject in the scriptures. 
studying theology, studying church leadership, studying what an elder and a shepherd is and does. And so actually our team knows this. We know this quite well. The question is, do you know this? I would be willing to bet that very few people in this room, if you've attended church, have sat through a sermon where you were taught what is an elder and what does an elder do? What should you expect from us as elders who are overseers of your soul? See, you need to hear this so you can know whether you are under good biblical leadership or not. You need to hear this so that you can know what you should expect from us, so you can hold us accountable to what the Bible commands that we are supposed to do as elders, so that if we stray from what the Bible teaches, then you can leave and you can find a better church that's more faithful to what the Bible says about this topic. And you need to know this so you can pray for us. We pray for you, and I would hope that because of the responsibility that we bear as elders, that you also pray for us. And you need to know this so you can encourage us in the difficult work that we are doing. There are some times in difficult moments where we sit around and look at one another and go, this is weighty stuff and we need some encouragement. And finally, you need to know this so you can submit to us confidently. As you heard in Hebrews chapter 13, when my wife was reading it, as the church body, you are actually commanded to submit to the elders of the church, which means you better know what a faithful elder should look like. Isn't that a little terrifying that you're commanded to submit to our leadership? So you better know so that you can place yourself confidently under our leadership. Because if you don't have confidence in being submitted to us, then you should probably, again, find a church that you think is more faithful to God's word. So this sermon on elders has everything to do with you as a Christian. I encourage you to pay close attention, whether you're here at Maricopa Springs Family Church or maybe someday you move away and you end up at a different church. This is information that needs to influence the way that you think about church leadership. Now, all of that's out of the way so we can look at Peter's exhortation. There are five directives that Peter gives to the elders of the church. First, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I love that word shepherd, right? An image comes to mind. Notice that Peter does not say rule over the flock of God that is among you. He doesn't say lead the flock of God or manage the flock. He says, shepherd the flock. Now, a shepherd, I would say, does in fact rule over the flock and he does manage the flock and he does lead the flock. Those things are true. But that's not the word that Peter chooses. Peter chooses the word shepherd because the primary work of the elder is to care for the people to care for the body of Christ, to be committed to their well-being, to be committed to your safety, to be committed to your maturity, your growth. Shepherds are to serve the flock with humility and selflessness, guiding the flock towards Jesus by applying the scriptures to people's lives. They're to lead by exemplifying the love of Jesus to God's precious people. And notice, 
Two, how does Peter relate the elders to the sheep? Do you notice this? He says, shepherd the flock of God that is beneath you. No, that is among you. This is a beautiful picture of closeness and intimacy in the body of Christ between the leaders and the followers. Elders are supposed to be with the people of the church. As one pastor so eloquently put it, elders should smell like the sheep. Shepherds should smell like the sheep, right? Because they're close to them. Because even as we are shepherds serving the body of Christ, leading the sheep, we ourselves are also sheep under the leadership of Christ, the true good shepherd. So I think elders, pastors shouldn't, behind, shouldn't hide behind closed office doors. They shouldn't be inaccessible to people. We shouldn't keep the flock at a distance estranged from us. We shouldn't just have casual relationships. We should know the flock and actually we should be known by you so you can see whether the life that we proclaim that Christians should live is true of how we actually do live, connected in a community of love for one another. And I would say tragically, in many churches, people don't even know who the elders are. It's some kind of secret governing board or it's just the pastor. And he doesn't even know the people that are under his leadership. And it shouldn't be like that, okay? It shouldn't be like that. I'm not suggesting even that our church is perfect in this. I'm just saying that's not how it should be. The second directive is that elders are to exercise oversight. So in other places of scripture that talk about elders, like 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, elders are actually called their overseers, same word. So elders are to oversee the body of Christ. They're to exercise oversight, which means that elders have willingly accepted the responsibility upon themselves to care for the people of the church, to give attention to their spiritual well-being. You know, just as a doctor cares for your physical health and a mechanic cares for the health of your car and a dentist cares for your oral health, an elder is tasked with taking care of your spiritual health your practical love for Jesus. And this is a responsibility that we have joyfully chosen for ourselves. We're not elected. You didn't force us into this role. You didn't push us to the front and say, take this guy instead of me. This work was not something that was dropped upon us. We voluntarily accepted it for ourselves. And we've done that with a fearful reverence for God, serving timidly, but also with courage, serving with conviction, but also humility before God. And we sincerely believe, you can ask any of these guys, we sincerely believe that this is truly the most serious thing in all of the world. And I'm not exaggerating there. The reason is because, as you heard in Hebrews chapter 13, we are accountable before God for this work that we have chosen to do. You are God's beloved sheep. And so far be it from us that we would lead you astray or mistreat you 
or act in a way towards you that is unloving or unchristlike. We will be judged with stricter judgment because of the leadership role that we have chosen to take upon ourselves. Now, this overall, uh, this insight, um, I'm sorry, this oversight that we are tasked with also includes an overall responsibility to uh, manage the church as a whole, in addition to the care of individual people in the church, it encompasses the church operations as a whole, which means that we're responsible for overseeing the organization and the administration of the church body as the church seeks to do everything that scripture commands us to do. We delegate much of that work to other people. Many of you are sitting here this morning and you've been given different tasks under the authority of our elder team. And that's why we also always need your involvement around here because there's far more work than we could ever do by ourselves. But just to cite one example of what this maybe oversight might include, you know, you give financially, generously, sacrificially to our church so that we can do the things that we do, support our ministry partners and rent this facility and pay for whatever materials we need and also pay for some of our staff. And when you give, you're trusting that our elder team will manage those finances well. We seek to be accountable to you in how we manage those finances by disclosing to you our ministry expenses. We try to do that at least every other month. But you're welcome to email Catherine, our administrative assistant here, and she'll give you that information anytime you want. But everything from our groups to our Bible studies to our children's ministry to our women's ministry, to our Sunday morning gatherings and everything in between, all of that, all of that responsibility ultimately falls upon the elders to oversee. The third directive that Peter gives, we've already touched on a little bit, so I don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but he says that the elders should exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Again, not under compulsion means that this should not, should, this should be a freely accepted responsibility. Uh, I've heard about some churches where people are nominated to serve as elders and then they're elected based on votes and sometimes they don't even want that responsibility. What a terrible thing that would be to have that kind of responsibility against your desire. Paul even says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if a man desires this role, he desires a noble thing. It's good and right for an elder to desire to do this work. And the reason why an elder must desire to do this and not be compelled to do this work, not forced into it, is because these guys will testify the work of an elder is extremely difficult work. It really is. Think about this for a second. What in life do you think is one of the most difficult things? I'll tell you what it is from my experience, raising children. Raising children is one of the most difficult things you can do. You, you never feel properly equipped for it. You really have no idea what you're doing. Maybe you pick up a book and you realize it's a terrible manual for raising children. It's a wonderful, joyful work 
But the reason why it is one of the most difficult things is because is there anything else in life as consequential as governing and overseeing the soul of another person as they grow and develop? I would say no. Almost no other work that you might do has that kind of eternal consequence. To be responsible for another person, to be responsible for shaping the soul of another person, steering them towards maturity, that's a profound and weighty thing. And if you've ever been a parent, then I think you know what I'm talking about. Now, the only thing that I can think that's more challenging than raising my own four children, who I love with all of my heart, is overseeing a church of 150 people, right? Many of the same principles apply. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes faith and obedience and courage and compassion. It requires humility and conviction, strength and tenderness, perseverance and wisdom. These are the things that are necessary to be an elder, not to mention a fierce commitment to pray and to be a student of God's word so that you can feed people with his wisdom and not your own foolish ideas. So an elder needs to serve the flock willingly because this is difficult and tender work. And an unwilling heart is not going to apply the care that is required or persevere when things get hard. And Peter says we should do this as God would have us. Now, I don't think here he means that every man who is an elder is appointed to be an elder. I think what he means here is that we should do this work in a way that is pleasing to God. That's the important principle. We must serve as elders as God would have us, meaning in the same way that Jesus served the sheep, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with the body in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's the way God would have us be elders. The fourth directive is that we must do this work not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The Greek word that Peter uses here for shameful gain is just another way of saying greedy. Elders can't be in it for the money. They have to be motivated by the treasure that they have found in Jesus Christ and the joy that they get from serving him. Now, this doesn't mean that an elder can't be paid. <clears throat> Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, we are taught those who give their life to the gospel should make a living by the gospel. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So it's perfectly reasonable for a church to pay some or potentially all of the elders. But that can't be the reason why somebody chooses to be an elder. The financial compensation, I think, should be reasonable, and I think it should be disclosed to the church so that there's accountability, so that you can say, yes, this elder is not greedy based on the money that we pay him, but nobody should do this work for money. That's not a proper motivation. We should do it because there is pleasure in serving the Lord. Now, let me just mention real quick here that there are some churches where the pastors are greedily overpaid. And if you're at a church where they won't disclose the pastor's salary, you should be suspicious. They're doing ministry for selfish gain, sadly. 
But there are other churches where if you look at what the church pays the pastor or the elder, those elders are woefully underpaid because the church body is unwilling to sacrifice what's necessary to take care of the needs of the pastor who is proclaiming the gospel. And either extreme is wrong. I would say it's immoral for a pastor to seek unreasonable compensation for his work. And it is immoral for a church to underpay a pastor simply because he's doing the Lord's work. And that's reward enough. I would add to this, not all elders must get paid. Depends on how much work needs to be done, how much work they're contributing, how much the church can reasonably afford. Right now at Maricopa Springs, I am the only elder who is paid for the work that I do as a full-time pastor because I give all of my working time and attention to this labor. Our other three elders, Gabe and John and Leonard, they do this simply for the joy of serving you. They're not paid at all for the work they do as elders. So you should be especially thankful for them, for their prayers and their encouragement and their love for you and their support of you. And in fact, I'll just say this right now because this comes up every year. If you're planning anything for Pastor Appreciation Month in October, I've already said pastors and elders are the same thing. So direct all of your love and your attention to these three men and their wives and their children because they serve you sacrificially and generously simply because they love you and they are eager to please Jesus. And all of us on our elder team see our reward, not in financial terms, but in spiritual terms. Finally, then, the fifth directive that Peter gives to elders is that they must not be domineering over those that are in their charge. They must be examples to the flock. So the role of elder is a servant leadership role. We're told to lead primarily by example. Loving the word of God so that you see it as beautiful, humbly walking the way of Jesus so that you're encouraged to follow, boldly obeying the commands so that you see that they are good and trustworthy, courageously placing our faith in Jesus so that you are inspired to do the same. Elders should rarely, if ever, have to command someone in the flock to do anything because their very lives are a kind of command in the way that they conduct themselves. They shout to the people of God, follow me as I follow Jesus. And tragically, if you ask people, hey, have you ever had church hurt? You ever been wounded at a church? Typically what people will say if they have a yes to that answer is that it happened because someone in leadership was domineering, overbearing, Someone bulldozed and ran over them. They were under a pastor or an elder who let pride turn them into a tyrant instead of a servant. And that's a great tragedy. I would say elders like that have no business leading the flock. They are expressly commanded here not to be domineering. And so when an elder leads by example, they should cause the flock to say, I may not aspire to be an elder, but I aspire to be like that elder in the way that he loves Jesus and lives a Christ-like life. There's another important idea here in verse 3. Peter tells us that elders 
have the flock under their charge. This means that elders have the responsibility to the flock to care for them and to lead them. But it also means that you, as the sheep, as the flock, you have a responsibility to the elders. The church is under the charge of the elders, which means that you are required to follow the elders, to trust them, to submit to them. And I bet right now you're like screaming inside like, that is a dirty word, submit. But not within the body of Christ. It's beautiful. We all submit to Jesus. And you have an obligation as the flock to us, just as we have an obligation as the elders to you. And of course, all of this is simply part of the obligation that we each have as Christians to submit to Christ, our Lord and our Master. Again, you heard it, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So let all of us love one another humbly as we seek Jesus together, the elders in the way that we lead and the sheep in the way that they follow. Two final points here, and I know you're tempted to like tune out because it's close to the end and it's still summer and it's hot, but these are also very important points, okay? What if an elder is out of line? What recourse does the church have to address that problem? What happens if an elder fails to do what Peter commands here? Do they just get off scot-free? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 tells us this. Do you know these verses? Listen. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. This is another reason why the weight of being an elder is serious. If an elder is proven to be stubbornly disobedient to what the scriptures teach, they are to be publicly reprimanded, publicly rebuked and disciplined. I would go so far as to say that they should actually therefore then step down from leadership because they are no longer above reproach, as 1 Timothy chapter 3 says an elder must be. And this is why there must be a plurality of elders, so that if one of us is out of line, the others can say, that is inappropriate, and this is a situation that requires discipline. Similarly, if a member of the flock is out of line, and the elders seek to correct and restore them, but they remain stubbornly disobedient in their sin, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, says that that persistent sinner in the body of Christ is to be judged by the body and put out of the church. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul writes, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, those outside the church? It is, not, uh, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? 
God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, again, I would be willing to bet that most of you sitting here this morning in your experience in church have never been taught or told that the church is actually commanded to identify persistent sinners in the body of Christ and kick them out, excommunicate them for the good of the body. And they're supposed to publicly do this for elders in front of the entire church if elders go astray. This is the clear teaching of scripture. And so we as a church need to follow it. And most churches don't do this because it's mean, right? It looks really ugly. It's really unfun. Often it's divisive. But this is the way of Jesus. And it's in order to protect the body of Christ from the infectious disease of sin that slowly decays and destroys. And when it's tragically necessary for a church to do this, do you know where all of the anger and the hatred and the vitriol goes? It all gets funneled at the elders. They stand as the buffer, the shield, between the body and the rage that comes when a church seeks purity. That's one more reason why elders need to shepherd the flock willingly and humbly and courageously and tenderly. It's also why most people won't aspire to this responsibility because it's difficult work and it very often comes with very little appreciation or respect. But you know what? We don't do it for the appreciation or the respect. We do it willingly, joyfully, because we love to serve you and we love to serve Jesus. But we do it most importantly because of what Peter says in verse 4. Notice, Peter says to the elders, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's the motivation. Here's the reward that we as elders look for. Simply that Jesus would be well pleased with our work and that at the end of it all, we would receive the unfading crown of glory. But you know what? The truth is that the unfading crown of glory that Jesus will give to the elders is actually the very same reward that Jesus will give to the entire body. It's the same reward that you can look forward to with hope and expectation. Elders serve only as stewards until the day comes when Jesus says, give me back my sheep and I'm going to look them over and make sure that they're in good shape under your leadership. But we will surrender back to him what we have been given to steward and then we will be rewarded for healthy, joyful sheep as Jesus receives them back. But the congregation, the sheep that we surrender over to him will also be rewarded you will be rewarded for your faithfulness to follow the elders as we all go the way of Jesus according to the teaching of the scriptures. And together as one body, one family, we will all receive from God the treasure that Jesus Christ offers to his people. Eternal glory, eternal life, a crown that will never fade. 
So then let us all together in love for one another and in humility before our great God, let us serve Jesus with glad hearts and enduring faithfulness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this teaching about good and right church leadership. And Lord, I pray for myself and for the other elders at Maricopa Springs that we would be men who are worthy of this calling, that in our weakness, you would be great, that you would be magnified in the way that we seek to humbly serve. And Lord, I pray that your people would reap great rewards from our faithful leadership, that our church would be strong and healthy, founded on the word of God and built up by the spirit that dwells in us. God, I ask that our congregation would be prayerful over our elders and that we as elders would be faithful to pray for them. And Lord, I ask that we would all grow in maturity and Christ-likeness as together we seek to be like your son, Jesus. And it's for his glory, in his name that we pray. Amen.